So I have to give a disclaimer for this morning's message in case I say something that uh, seems out of character or is kind of strange, and that is that I'm on a lot of medication right now. Um, I woke up yesterday morning not feeling too great. My throat felt like it was on fire. Anybody else experienced that recently? Yeah? Okay. Nobody else, just me. All right, so... um, yeah, so I don't know if I've got something going on or what, but anyway, so I've been taking medication, and uh, I am a little bit out of it. I've got a little bit of a fog going on, so please forgive me if I say something kind of strange today. Um, I, I was, <laughs> this may actually qualify as one of those strange things. Um, does anybody have a sibling of the opposite sex? Yeah, there's a few of us in here. Were there times in your life where you hated their guts? Yeah, amen, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I I say that lovingly with the grace of Jesus, right? But there have been times where you just wanted to take your sibling and just do them like this. Am I right? Just strangle the life out of them, you know? And you're, yeah. So um, I thought today that I would pick on my sister a little bit. So uh, uh, she's she got one of her daughters here today, as a matter of fact. So she had to go back and tell her mom what what I said about her. But anyway, um, so it was said about me when I was a child. It was said about me that um, I was spoiled, is what they would say. Now, um, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I know that my mom loved me. My mom's about to have a birthday, so I want to say happy birthday to my mom. Uh, some of you know my mom because she's the, the militant hugger that's at the front door. So some of you come in late because she's at the front door. So, And I know that about you. I know that you're sitting out in your car waiting for her to go sit down in her chair before you'll come in the door. Am I right? <laughs> Yeah, okay, so anyway, God sees you. He knows what you're up to, by the way. So she's the militant hugger at the door. Uh, happy birthday, Mom, this coming Friday. Happy birthday. Uh, but anyway, it was said about me that uh, I was spoiled, that be, you know, my sister would always say, you are spoiling him. He doesn't know how to do anything. You wash his underwear. You fold his underwear. You put up his underwear. You make his bed, all this kind of stuff. He's not ever going to be able to do anything on his own because you do everything for him. Now, the flip side of that is that she washed her underwear, and she folded her underwear, too, and she put her underwear away, too, but it was just said that about me uh, because, you know, I was the, the, the younger sibling than her, and I was, I, you know, the one that she just had animosity toward, because the younger sibling's the one you always go like, oh, they just got it made, right? All the rules are a lot easier for them, you know, they don't have all the rules that we had, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know what I'm talking about? And she had it out for me, you know, and she said, she said that I was going to be spoiled. And, and maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but I know this, I know this, that, that that I, I try my best based on the example that my parents have set before me to work very hard. And I talked about the example that they set before me before, how they humbly come in here and they work in the church and they clean up and they do stuff that you guys don't ever see. And I am so incredibly grateful, not only for the work that they do, but for the example that they set and the things that they do for this church. And I am extremely grateful for them, even though she may run you off when she goes to hug you and you trying to skirt around her as you come in the door. And so I... I I, I, I am extreme. I told her that that's what her job was, by the way. So if you have somebody to blame as to me, I told her, I said, look, your job is to stand here and welcome everybody that comes in and make sure that they feel loved. And so she bear hugs you. And so that's my fault. So just letting you know. But I think as Christians, a lot of times we don't reflect the example that Christ has set before us and that from the very beginning of his life, He was set up to be a sacrifice, right? So if our lives as Christians are to be 
to, to, to be characterized by anything, it should be a life of sacrifice. And that's one of the reasons that the like three tenets of Simple Church, reach, teach, and serve, that serve is one of those. To, to be a servant is to be a living sacrifice. Am I right about that? That, that if you're going to be characterized by something in your life as a Christian, don't you think that one of the main things that you've got to be characterized by is being a sacrifice? Being a living sacrifice, I mean, to be a servant, to serve other people, to do other things for other people. And I am thrilled to say that in this church, man, from the very beginning, one of the very first things that we said is we're going to be all about serving other people. And we have continued that philosophy. One of the very first things that we did is Operation Christmas Child. From day one, the very first service we had at Simple Church, it was we're going to have this service project, and it's going to be for kids that are on the other side of the world that we'll never see, but we want to touch them with the gospel and the love of Jesus, and, and we started bringing in toys for them, which, by the way, we're going to start doing that uh, right in November. We're going to start bringing in toys for Operation Christmas Child. We've done things like raise, um, we, we brought in toys for Children's Hospital. We we, we raise money to send wagons over to Children's Hospital that the kids can ride in as they're going over to their procedures or going to have uh, x-rays or MRIs done, and, and, and we've, we've done that. I mean, it, we, we've, we've, made, we've made the templates for shoes that are made for people over in Africa so that they can have shoes to wear so that their feet aren't contaminated with these jiggers that will destroy their feet. I mean, we've, we've just been all about that, and I want us to continue to be that way. But sometimes I think that we fall into this place of complacency in our own personal lives, and unless somebody is driving us to do it, unless somebody is putting something in front of us, say, we're going to do this project, that we aren't really sacrificial in our daily lives. And, and, and you can kind of, you see that a little bit, and, and I, I don't want to harp on this because we've harped on it too much, but in the sign-ups for our children's department. Right now, there are a lot of empty spaces because we just don't want to sacrifice our time in here to go and help out in the children's department. I mean, that's a reality. I, I, I can say that there have been several people that will come in here and they've got special needs kids and, and we said, we want to be a light for you. We want to be a place where you can come and we want to take care of your kids. And I think if I were to ask the whole congregation, is that the kind of place we want to be? Everybody would raise their hand and say, yes, I think we should be that kind of place where they can feel comfortable bringing their kids and their kids will be taken care of. But if I said, okay, who's going to sign up to take care of them? I think there would be a lot of hands that would go down. And I, I, I don't want us to fall into that trap. I don't want us to fall into the trap of saying that we're sacrificial, but on a personal level, individual level, that we're not sacrificial in how we live our day-to-day -day lives. We're going to be in the book of Judges again, and we're going to talk about sacrifice. We're going to talk about this, this man who, even though he is messed up in a lot of ways, his life is characterized by sacrifice. You'll kind of see that at the beginning of the story and then at the end of the story. This man is somebody that we all have heard of. Um, his name is Samson. And you probably have images in your mind when I say Samson. You probably have like a big, strong, like buff dude. You know, he's got like muscles ripping everywhere and he's got really long hair, right? So that's what you picture is Samson, right? And maybe you picture a guy that, that took a donkey's jawbone and like whipped everybody. You know, maybe you have that image in your mind of who he is. Um, maybe you've got in your mind a guy with his eyes gouged out because of what he did and, 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 and the, the woman that, that kind of entrapped him and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to talk about all that good stuff. But I want you to look at his life and I want you to see from the very beginning, his parents, his parents 
were very sacrificial from the very time that he was born. So beginning of Judges chapter 13 with the birth of Samson. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. So we've been talking about this process in Judges where they would do evil in the sight of the Lord and God would do whatever it takes to bring them back. And here we see 40 years. This is, happens to be the longest time that the Israelites have been oppressed in any of the other books. Here we see 40 years and they're oppressed by the Philistines. And the, it says the Lord handed them over to the Philistines. The Lord did that so that they would come back to him. In those days, a, a man of uh, Manoah, sorry, my eyes are struggling to focus. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden fruit. You will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will be, be, begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So here we see Manoah and his wife. We don't really ever get Manoah's wife's name, um, and that's not to say that she's not important. As a matter of fact, if you look at this particular story, she's very important. But in this culture and in this time, uh, the wives are really seen in light of who their husbands were, and it was their lineage, and it was who they were, what tribe they were a part of, and what people they came from. So I've told you this before, and I'll say it again. In these people's time, to, to be barren and to not have a child was a very, very big deal. It was a big deal because not only did people look at it as your family name is not going to be carried on, your heritage is not going to continue but they would also see it as a sign from God that you had done something wrong in your life, therefore you couldn't have kids. They would look at it and say that, you know, there's, a, there's something wrong in, in, in who you are, and that's the reason God is punishing you for this, and you're not able to carry on your lineage, not able to carry on your name. Let me tell you something, that if you're here and you don't have children or you can't have children, that, that, that's not some kind of crazy punishment from God. That just means the setup for your life just happens to be different than some others. Yes, children are a blessing and grandchildren are a blessing and all of that kind of stuff. I, I agree with that. But I want you to know that just because you don't have kids doesn't make you less than. It doesn't make you incapable of carrying out what God has in store for you and, and your life. That you are not some kind of secondhand Christians or you have not fallen short in some way. And here we see Manoah and his wife, and they can't have kids. And then an angel of the Lord. So this is called a Christophany. A Christophany is a big, fancy theological word for a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So before Christ ever appeared on the earth, he appears throughout the Old Testament. We see him appearing in several places. And here we see Christ appearing for, before Manoah's wife. And what, what, is, what does he say? He says, all right, I know that you can't have children. So initially, when you see some, you roll up on somebody and they say, oh, by the way, I know that you can't have kids, you go, oh, that's, that's not common knowledge necessarily. Um, I've never seen you before. You've never been in our town before. You look kind of different as it is. And now you're telling me you can see inside of me and see that I can't have kids? Huh, that's an interesting thing. So he's bringing awareness to the fact that he can see her and her condition. 
Oh, isn't that a beautiful picture, though? I mean, I just want to pause there for just a second to say that, that, that when, you're, when you're in your situation, whatever it might be, that, that Christ can see within you and he can see what's going on inside of you. And you don't even have to say a word. Sometimes he can just see the condition that you're in and he cares about that. Right. I, I mean, so many times we go about our lives, we think that Christ doesn't care. He doesn't know and he doesn't care. The reality is, and we see this throughout Scripture, is that he knows and he cares. That he is not some distant God that is far off in some, some other galaxy somewhere that doesn't care about what's going on with us. As a matter of fact, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows exactly where you are and the place that you're in, and he knows what's going on in your heart, and he knows your struggles, and he cares about them. We can convince ourselves sometimes that God doesn't care. That's the easiest thing to convince ourselves of. You know, we can start listening to lies. We can start telling ourselves lies. And before we know it, we can convince ourselves that God doesn't even care what happens to me. And that right there is contrary to what the gospel says because the gospel of Jesus Christ is that obviously he cares. He cares so much that he cares to the point of death. To humbling himself on a cross for all of us. It's obvious that God cares. It's obvious that he knows about our condition. It's obvious that he cares so much about our condition that he's willing to die for our condition. God does see and he does care and he knows what's going on inside of you. So if today you're here in this place and you're wondering, does God even care? Does he even know what's going on inside of me? He's already proven that. He's already proven that on the cross. When he hung there, stretched out like this where he couldn't even breathe, he couldn't, all he could do was push up to get a breath. He does care. He does care. He came down off his throne and came to be a human being so that all of us could one day be heirs to that throne. He cares. If you think that he doesn't care, all you have to do is look to the cross of Christ and you'll know that he cares. You'll know that he cares. So we've got Manoah and his wife and they're, they're doing their thing, you know. They're going about their lives, and, you know. And, and she comes across this man and he, he sees her and he sees the condition. And he says, not only are you going to become pregnant, but this, this guy is going to be set apart He's going to be a Nazarite. And you need to prepare now for him to be a Nazarite later. There's only really three Nazarites in, in the Bible, and that is uh, Samuel, Samson, and then uh, John the Baptist. So Nazarites are kind of set apart for a specific purpose. They are set apart for a specific uh, purpose of God, a plan for God. And, and I, you have to understand that a Nazarite, so they really couldn't touch anything that was dead or be around any dead thing. They couldn't drink alcohol or be around any kind of alcoholic beverage or anything like that. And, and, and they couldn't cut their hair, right? So you can imagine, okay, well, what is that all about? Is it so they would be nappy and hippie looking? No, that's not, that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that they would look and act a lot different than everybody else. And I think this speaks to us a little bit because I think that sometimes as Christians, it's hard to tell who's a Christian and who's, a not, who's not in today's society. Am I right about that? It's kind of hard to see anybody that's really set apart for God's purposes. You, you see everybody trying to blend in and, and nobody wants to be an outcast and, and everybody just kind of wants to fit in with everybody else. And especially when you're young and Especially when you're old and especially when you're middle-aged, you want to fit in. Am I right? You want to fit in. You don't want to be the weirdo, do you? You don't want to look different. But uh, to be holy means to be set apart. 
We have few people that desire to be holy today. We have few people that desire to be set apart, to look different, to act different, to talk different, to drink different. We have very few people that are willing to do that. And, and I, I think that there's something to be said about that. I think that as Christians, we got to. That if we are going to be the light of the world, that we can't be in the darkness, you know? I mean, we can't be constantly looking like darkness if we're going to be the light of the world. That we've got to be different. That we've got to continue to, to act different and to say different things and to look different than the rest of the world. I think there's too many people walking around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, just whispering it. Just whispering it with their lives. But in reality, it should, be, it should be shouted from the mountaintops. Man, I am a Christ follower. And my life looks different because Christ is different than the world. And Christ lives within me, therefore I am different than the world. And here, a Nazarite. A lot of people in, in this day and time would take a Nazarite vow, and they would do it for a period of time, and then they would kind of be done with it. So they would take it maybe for 30 days or something like that. Well, they would not be around dead stuff. They'd not drink alcohol. They would not uh, cut their hair, and they would do that for a period of time, and then they'd go back to living their lives, right? So that was kind of, people would take a Nazarite vow and do that. Well, these three individuals, Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist, took a lifelong Nazarite vow. That was the plan, okay? Now, <laughs> we're going to see that Samson makes some crazy choices, but um, that was the plan from the very beginning. And... Manoah's wife has this encounter, and he says, look, these are the rules that you've got to follow because he's going to be a Nazarite, and he's going to rescue. He's going to, no, 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 let me, let me clarify. At the end of verse 5, it says, he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Doesn't necessarily say he will see it to completion. It says that he will begin the process of rescuing Israel from the Philistines. I think that sometimes we always like to see the complete picture. Like we, we, we don't, you're going to make me be sacrificial and be different and raise my child differently than everybody else and all he's going to do is start the process? You know, we want to see, I want to see something to completion. I want to see the reward for what I've done, right? And she doesn't even get that satisfaction. All she gets is a satisfaction is he's going to start the process. And I think that's enough. I think that's enough for her. See, I think that's a, that's a perfect picture of being a sacrifice right there. This is going to be somebody that's going to be set apart for the purposes of God's plan, and he's going to begin the process. Let's look at what she does. She ran, the man, woman ran and told her husband, a man of God appeared to me and looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. I didn't ask him where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he told me, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. For your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. So what does she do? She goes and she tells her husband. She, she's wanting to let him know that, hey, if I end up pregnant, you need to know why. Okay, like, you know, I, okay, that's good to explain, right? You know, he says she's barren and they know that. And then, you know, for one reason or another, she can't have kids and she wants to know if I become pregnant. This is because this angel, the Lord was there, and he told me that this is what's going to happen. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, saying, Listen to what Manoah does. Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about this son who is to be born. Oh, okay. Do you get what it's saying there? 
Why did he want the angel of the Lord to come back? Why did, he, why did he want the angel of the Lord to come back? To give us more instructions. Wouldn't you think that if it was you, wouldn't you go, God, please let Jesus come back so I can see him and that would be really cool? You know, like, I mean, wouldn't you be excited to see the angel of the Lord? I mean, like, wouldn't you be very excited? I just want to be in the presence. God, send him back so that I might be in the presence of the Lord. And I might be able to experience that, and it would be amazing. But that's not what he says. He says, may he come back so that he can give us further instructions about this child. He wants to know what else I can do. How else can I be a sacrifice for the Lord? How else can I be pleasing to the Lord in what I do, in my actions? I want him to give me specific ways that I can do things to be a sacrifice. I want this child to be dedicated to God's purposes, not my own purposes. So I need instruction. From the very beginning, his message is that, God, I need instruction. Is, is that the way that you prayed for your child before it was born? God, please show me the way that I'm supposed to raise this child so that this child will be a living sacrifice for you. Young people, you haven't had a child yet? Think about this. Think about this when, when, when you're going to have a child or you're laying there in labor and delivery. Think about praying to the Lord and ask, God, please send me instructions on how I'm supposed to raise this child so he might bring glory and honor to your name. Too often we think internally and selfishly about, man, how, how this kid's going to bring me grandchildren one day or how this kid's going to do this and maybe he's going to have a great job or he's going to be a lawyer, a doctor or whatever. And very rarely do we say, God, show me. Show me I can raise this child to be a living, breathing sacrifice for the name of Jesus Christ. Our perspectives are supposed to be different, y'all. The way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we train our children is supposed to be different. It's, supposed to, it's, supposed, it's not supposed to look like everybody else. I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about grades for your kids. I, I'm just saying that you should care more about who they are and do they represent Christ than you do what they represent on their, their report card. That should be the most important thing. And here we see this man, Manoah, crying out to God, saying, God, may he come back. May the angel of the Lord come back so that he can tell us, give us more instructions about this son who is to be born. God answered Manoah's prayer. And the angel of God appeared once again to his wife, and she was sitting in the field. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. I don't know what this dude is doing, by the way. He's never hanging out with his wife. But anyway, so he's in the... <laughs> I don't know. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. So she quickly ran and told her husband, the man who appeared to me the other day is here again. Hey, dude, come on. He's here. Manoah ran back with his wife and asked, are you the man who spoke with my wife the other day? Yes, he replied, I am. That's a good conversation right there, isn't it? Yep, I'm him. So Manoah asked him, when your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? Once again, what is the message that he's trying to get an answer to? He's saying, all right, you've given us, you've given us this, this child. I want to know how he is supposed to, to honor the Lord in his life and in his work. What a beautiful picture of what Christian parents should be. They look at the child and they ask God, what is to be the pattern of their life and of their work? 
that this, this child would be raised up in such a way that, that they would point towards Christ. And that's Manoah's prayer. And that's the first thing he goes. I mean, I'm sure he's probably awestruck by being in the presence of the Lord, but he is the first thing he asks is what rules should govern the boy's life and work. And the angel replied, Be sure the wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, or eat any forbidden fruit. Well, then Manoah asked, said to the angel of the Lord, Please stay here until we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. I will stay, the angel of the Lord replied, but I will not eat anything. However, you may prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't realize that it was an angel of the Lord. When Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name? For when this comes true, we want to honor you. So here's what's going on. So he, he says, um, you know, in a hospitable way, he, he says, I want, I, want to, I want to honor you by giving you something to eat. Okay? That was just a way of showing hospitality. And to recognize the importance of a guest was to say, okay, we want to sacrifice a goat or something, and, and you just eat with us, and, and we'll sit down, and we'll fellowship with you. And the angel of the Lord, who is, who is different, says, I can't eat anything, but you're welcome to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, maybe you would think, well, that's kind of insulting. I offered to fix him something to eat, but he says, no, just make a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, I, I think that Manoah, instead of going, well, he doesn't want anything to eat, we're not going to fool with it, he goes ahead and says, okay, we'll make that sacrifice to the Lord because this is the meditation of his heart. This is the way that he's wired. He is wired in a sacrificial way. He is wired to give to the Lord. That is the way that he lives his life. And the angel of the Lord knew that. And, the Lord, and, he, and Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name? For when this comes true, we want to honor you. He, he's, he's looking at this guy thinking maybe he's some kind of prophet or something and, and not realizing who he is. It says that. He, and he wants, to, he wants to give the credit where credit is due. He doesn't want to take the credit for what is going on here with this young boy's life. When, when it actually comes to fruition, when actually this boy grows up and starts to deliver the Philistines, uh, deliver the Israelites from the Philistines, Manoah doesn't want the credit. He wants to give the credit to somebody else. Once again, I, I think this is a perfect reflection of the humility and the sacrificial lifestyle of this man, that he doesn't want any of the credit whatsoever. And we'll look at what the, the angel of the Lord says. Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied, it's too wonderful for you to understand. Manoah doesn't ask any more questions after that. Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. I think this is the picture of who Manoah and his wife really were. Sacrificial. Sacrificial. And Manoah and his wife watched, and the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord is there, and he is in their presence, and he's told them some amazing things. He's told them some things that they really couldn't believe. 
It was hard for them to wrap their minds around what, was, what God was going to do. But they had this mentality of being sacrificial. To say, whatever is mine, it's mine because it belongs to the Lord. And here, what do they say? They say, man, this child, I want to know how I, can, how I can raise him up to honor the Lord and do exactly what God has called him to do. You've given him a plan and a purpose. I want to know how to get there. And, and here, they, they, they come in contact with him again. They ask the same question again. What rules are supposed to, he's supposed to adhere to so that his life is one that puts him on this path for this destiny that God has for him? And they want to give credit to the person, this, this angel of the Lord. They don't recognize who he is. They said, we want to give credit to you because we don't want any of the credit. They, they offered this, this goat up when they could be eating the goat. Instead, they offered it up as a sacrifice. And what happens? I think that God inhabits the fire of this sacrifice. And he shows this sacrifice is acceptable. The sacrifice honors the Lord, just like the sacrifice of your son is going to honor the Lord. Just like you following the plans for your son is going to honor the Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the way Mary and Joseph must have felt knowing that their son would be a sacrifice? You understand that when Jesus was born, that they gave him burial spices as one of the gifts. Frankincense and myrrh are really burial spices. Who gives a toddler frankincense and myrrh? Who gives a toddler burial spices? Well, that's because from the very beginning, he was to be a sacrifice. He was to be a sacrifice for each and every one of us. If our lives are going to be characterized by anything, it should be characterized by sacrifice. And if you don't believe that, then all you have to do is look at Christ. Look at Christ and the way that he lived his life. His life was full of ridicule. His life was full of being put down. His life was full of being accused of things that he did not do. All he did was ever tell the truth. He said, I am the son of God. All he ever did was tell the truth. And what happened to him as a result? The result of that was that he was seen as a criminal. He was seen as the lowest of the criminals because they condemned him to a cross Everybody hated him. Everybody wanted him crucified. Everybody wanted him destroyed. Even the people that, that, that were at some point, just very, a very few days earlier that, who were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Even those same people were there shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, it doesn't always make sense to us how God uses the things around us and how God uses our sacrifices and how God takes our sacrifices and he uses those to his glory. But I'll tell you this, when you look at the cross of Christ, you see the sacrifice of God. You see how he used that to redeem every, each and every one of us. There's so many times in our lives where we look and we say, man, I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to offer God, but I, I, I'm gonna take this to the altar of God and let him take what I have and he can multiply it. When you do that, when you, when you take what you have to the altar, that's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus did for all of us. He, he took his physical body and laid it on the altar of sacrifice so that each and every one of us might have eternity. Being the very son of God, he didn't have to come down and be a man. Being the very son of God, he could have had angels rescue him from the place that he was in so he would not have to suffer that kind of torture that he was undergoing. But from the very beginning of his life, 
he was set for the cross. Jesus often taught in the temples, right? He would stand there and he would teach in the temples. Do you know that he would look out the back door of the temple and you know what he would be facing? He'd be facing Jerusalem. He'd be facing the cross. So every time he spoke, he could see his destiny right out the back door. He could see where he was going right through the opening at the back of the temple and he could see in the synagogues, he could see exactly where he was headed and that was the cross. So each and every time he taught, he taught facing the cross. And each and every time that he, he, he did something in his life, it was for the purposes of sending him to the cross. Every person that he healed, every demon-possessed person that he rescued them, it was all for the purposes of sending him to the cross. You see that? That every single miracle that he performed was what drove the people to want to crucify him. To say that he must be from Satan, he can't be from God. That his powers must come from Satan. All of those things, all of those things were actually pointing him towards the cross. When you think about your Savior and how sacrificial he is in his life for you, you look at your life and say, man, it is one characterized by sacrifice. It is one characterized by, man, I am giving all that I can give. My sons, my daughters, my whole family, they all belong to Christ. And I, they, they're all a sacrifice to God because God has given every single thing. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've got struggles. Maybe you're wondering if God even knows what you're, what's going on in your life and you, want, you wonder if he cares. We've read in this book that, that obviously God knows and he cares and he's shown that through the cross of Christ. I encourage you today to come and bring those struggles to him, to come and let him move and work through those situations to show you that they can all be used for good. You just have to sacrifice them to him. The good, the bad, and the ugly, they all belong to him. And if you sacrifice them to him, then he can use them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the testimony of Manoah and his wife and how they would live sacrificial lives the meditation of their heart was one that, God, will do whatever you ask us to do. There are people in this place, God, that they, they know that you're calling them, asking them to do things. God, but they're afraid. Maybe they got hesitation in their life. Maybe they aren't fully committed for some reason. Lord, I pray that they would lay all those fears and all that hesitation down at the altar. God, that they might give it to you. God, and then there's some people here that they think that you don't know their lives, that you're not intimately connected with who they are and what's going on in their lives. I pray that you've revealed to them this morning that, that you know exactly what's going on. You know exactly the place that they're in. And more than anything, you know the condition of their heart. And maybe somebody here doesn't have a relationship with you, and you know that. And God, you've poured out grace and mercy through your cross. And if we ever, if we ever doubt about whether or not you know us and you know the condition we're in, that all we have to do is look to the cross. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just move in this place, that your Holy Spirit would move, God, that we would respond, and that you would receive glory as we live sacrificial lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.